Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. We're looking at our second parable. And we told you that the passage on your outline, and of course it's at the top here, the very first passage is always the one we're going to look at because it's the most thorough. And we'll change up and go to different books in parables, and we'll be in all four of the Gospels at one time or another. But this is the second night we're in Matthew, and that's because Matthew really is the best, most thorough, I shouldn't say the best, the most thorough on this particular parable. And we're going to read um, verse 24 in just a moment. Before I go further, I want to say the other night I mentioned Matthew. I should have said John 10, 27 through 29. Some of you knew I was in the wrong verse, right? We talked about italicized words, and I wanted you to see an example of it. The little crooked letters in a verse, which we've added to help with translation. And I went to, kept saying, go to Matthew, and I actually referred to it and read part of it. And some of you didn't understand uh, where we were. That's because I didn't tell you where we were. I told you we were in Matthew, and we should have been in John. So tonight we're in Matthew 7. Uh, just for a couple of points of review, remember... Parables are identified by two words. Who wants to tell me what they are? Like, Jim? And like and as. The kingdom of heaven is like. And when Jesus said that, we know he's going to tell a parable. And uh, are parables true stories? But most often they're not. But Jesus does every type of figure of speech in Scripture. He'll, he'll exaggerate something intentionally. He'll say it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. Well, for us, that's impossible. <laughs> a camel, a needle's eye. And by the way, the Greek grammar there is clear that needle is a sewing needle. I've heard people say, well, it's not really talking about a sewing needle. It's the archway of the city and a camel has to get on its knees and go through and they get all, come up with all this stuff. But that's not at all accurate. Jesus is saying it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Why would he exaggerate like that? To illustrate that money often corrupts and keeps people from being saved. That's why he does that. Can a rich person be saved? Of course. With God, all things are possible. There you go. And he tells parables to illustrate truth. And uh, he has a reason for it. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Remember, there's one main lesson in every parable, not a bunch of little lessons. And then we also know uh, he told parables, he said, for his followers to know, but uh, to those others it is not given, meaning the Pharisees. And tonight, Matthew is our writer, and uh, he uh, was originally named Levi, changed his name to Matthew, which means gift of God. And we're going to read verse 24. We won't stand tonight, but we'll read this verse. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things, these sayings of mine, and doeth them, I will be likened unto him a wise man which builds, built his house upon the rock. I will liken him, excuse me, unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. So if you hear the word and you're obedient to, obedient to it, and what's the first thing you need to do? First thing you need to be obedient to in Scripture is to be born again. That's the start of a good foundation. And that foundation is built on the Lord. And from that day forward, you have to be doers of the word, not hearers only. And you're building a good, solid foundation. 
Brother Jack, would you pray for us? My friend Jack Respect here. Lead us in prayer, would you, for this passage tonight? Thank you. If I was to preach this, I would call it or entitle it Too Many Sandcastles on the Beach. I grew up in Lake Michigan area and we lived walking distance from the lake and the kids would build those sandcastles all over, but when the winds came or the waters came up, they'd be gone. And the sad fact is there are too many sandcastles on the beach. There are too many people who are building a life that's not on a solid foundation. They don't have Jesus Christ to start with and their lives are falling apart. Marriages, homes, children, our country, all because we don't build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So tonight we look at the wise and the foolish man, our second parable. Now we know others, Wilmington says there's 38, and John Walver there's 35, and Henson and Kroll say there's 41, and I'm totaled 40, so that'll make it simple. We're in our second of 40. First of all, the reason Jesus told this story we must remember the Sermon on the Mount was his method of dealing with hypocrisy in the Pharisees. The entire Sermon on the Mount was to deal with the past system, the Pharisees, the hypocrisy and all of it. The arrogant, uh, arrogance of the Pharisees, they would go on a street corner and pray to get attention. And that reminds me, when we pray, we agree together. Whenever someone's praying out loud, you're agreeing with him, hopefully. Instead of daydreaming, agree with them. But that's another subject. But the Pharisees would pray, and when they gave, they wanted everyone to see them give a great amount of money, and they didn't measure up to the little lady that gave her final, final penny to the treasury, did they? They just never measured up because they were hypocrites. They had these fancy sepulchers, white, painted white, but inside it was death because the Pharisees were lost. And their system of self-righteousness was crumbling because Jesus Christ was exposing the hypocrisy of all of that. The conclusion of Matthew 5 and 7 uh, on the Mount of Beatitudes teaching, he had just said in relation to the old system, I never knew you. Now he wants to emphasize doing what they had been taught. As Ezekiel said, they hear my words, but they do not do them. So he, he's changing everything up. He's saying the old system of, of works and self-righteousness and doing things for show doesn't work. The new system of repenting and being saved and building a life on Jesus Christ does work. And then our lives are the fruit of the Spirit, a result of knowing God. There's a difference in, in you know, works of the flesh, and I don't want to say the sinful works of the flesh, but when you do things to impress other people, thinking you're doing it for God, maybe you want a pat on the back from man, the Bible says you already have your reward. And you're doing it for the wrong reason, the wrong motives. You're doing it for show. And that's what the Pharisees did. Jesus is saying we still need to obey the scriptures, be doers of the word as a result of our relationship. But we need to do things secretly. Do good deeds without broadcasting it. The Pharisees would, hey, everybody, look what I'm going to do. The Bible even gives an exaggeration. Jesus says 
when you give, let not one hand know what the other hand's doing. Now, of course, we know that you know what your hand's doing. He exaggerates to emphasize the fact that it should be so secret, you know, and, and so he, he's just fed up with the hypocrisy. So that's why he's telling this story. The lesson he's teaching is not just to hear his sayings, but doing them. Look at verse 24. It says here, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. That's the wise person. That's the wise person. And of course, we know James 1.22 says to be doers of the word, not hearers only. If you're here only, you're deceiving your own self. It's a forgetful man who goes and goes right back and does the wrong thing because he's not gazing consistently in the word of God. So here we're told about uh, the importance of doing the word. I love John 2 uh, when Jesus said fill, had, had him fill the pots with water. He could have just turned empty pots into, into wine, but he said, first, you go fill all the water pots up. He wants us to be a part of his ministry. So we need to be doers and then look and see and let him do the miracles of, of, of the life we live to take care of the miracles and, and help people. So the Pharisees wouldn't humble themselves and obey the lessons of these two chapters. True followers would. Now, in verses 13 and 14, there were two ways, a wide way and a narrow way. Here we have two foundations to build upon. The wise man in verse 24, the prudent, sensible, practical person will be a doer. So here is the wise man, the foolish man. And the, rain, the Bible says there's a wise man which builds his house in the rock and the rains descended, verse 25, and the floods came and the winds blew and, the, and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock. Now, when I built a house and I'm not a builder, but I built my own house to cut the middle man out. And a friend of mine, Charles Tabor, helped me each step of the way. First, you got to find a lot. I found a lot. Then he said you need to have a guy come in and clear the lot. And then you need to pour footers where your walls are going to be. Now, I never really knew what a footer was. I have big feet, but it's not a footer. And I learned it's not a measurement. It's pouring concrete down into the ground to give it a solid foundation. And I understand that if you don't have that, the house will not stand. So it's so important to have that solid foundation in building a house. And Jesus is comparing house building to life building. The person who obeys scripture is building his house on a rock. We know 1 Corinthians 10, 4 tells us that Jesus Christ is that rock. He's the rock in the weary land. He's the rock of our salvation. He's the foundation of the church and the head of the church and the shepherd of the church. Did you know this isn't my church? Of course, you know that. You'd say you've hardly been here long, but it's not your church either. This church belongs to the Lord. I don't mean the facilities. They're his as well, but I'm talking about the people. The church is a body of believers. We've been bought with a price. We don't, we, don't, we don't have any right to say this is my body or this is my life. I'll do what I want. We are supposed to yield to him because he paid for our salvation with his own blood. So here we find the wise man is, uh, is the one who builds on the rock. In verse 26, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. 
The word foolish comes from the Greek word moros. We get our word moron from it. That's true. Now, don't go out and call people morons. That's not nice. But that's actually where we get our word moron from, this Greek word. But we could say tonight that if you build a life on sand without a foundation, without the Lord Jesus Christ, you are kind of a moron, aren't you? Well, that's what Paul said, and that's what Jesus said. That's the Greek there. You're a moron. Like I said, don't go out and knock on doors and say, are you a moron or are you a wise man? You know, you, that's not a good approach. But Scripture says that. The psalmist said, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, the Hebrew word is not the word moros, but the Greek word here is. You can write in your little column there, write moron. That's what the word means. And it's sad, but that's what he says about the foolish man. Now, so we have our first fill in the blank. There are two builders, a wise one and a what? Foolish one. Or you could put moron if you want to, but I'm looking for foolish. There are two decisions, God's word and human opinion. God's word and human opinion. You're always safe with God's word. Whenever some de someone deviates from God's word or adds to it, or takes away or comes up with their own ideas, just back up and say, wait a minute. I, I want to find that in Scripture. And if you don't, then you're safe to just stick with the book. And, and we need to study so that we're not ashamed. If we're going to do anything for God, we need to study this book. So there's two decisions, God's word and human opinion. Two houses. It's interesting, the houses are the same. But the foundation is different. While if you built a beautiful house, I mean, you just built a beautiful house on the sands of the Atlantic Ocean, you'd think, isn't this beautiful? And the guy next to you, he pours footers and he builds his house off the beach a little bit. They're both beautiful houses, but one will crumble. It's the same thing with our lives. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, there's not much hope in this world. In fact, there's not any hope. It's hopelessness. With Christ, there's hope. Um, that's why I tell people not to be unequally yoked and not to enter marriage unless you're both saved. I mean, I've never done a wedding with two people who are lost, and I've never done a wedding of two people who are unequally yoked. And I've seen enough divorces amongst Christian people that I surely don't want to get into the habit of uh, doing weddings of people who are, uh, you know, unequally yoked. To start a marriage out with the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to start a family, to start a marriage, to build a life. Whether you're married or not, build a life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Two houses, the same. Two foundations, Christ the rock. And what's the sand? It's self-righteousness. I've had people say to me, well, I really don't do a lot of things wrong. I really don't consider myself a sinner. You know, we need to pray for these people to recognize their sinfulness. No one can trust Jesus Christ as Savior unless they first realize their need. They are totally depraved because of the fall of man. They're without hope because of the fall of man, because of the sin. They're born as sinners and they will sin. The only hope is Jesus Christ. Without that, there's not any hope. And people all around us are going to hell and we have to have compassion to tell them Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Invite folks to church. Let's see sinners come to the house of God so they can hear the gospel and be saved. Go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. And then when they're saved, they're starting a foundation. 
and they can build on that foundation. And then, of course, there are two results. We know the results. The, the house that's built on the rock, it stands. And, of course, we know, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 4, who was that rock? And you can write in there the answer to that, which is Jesus. It's all about the foundations. Proverbs 24, 3 says, the wisdom, Through wisdom is a house built. Through wisdom is a house built. But then, and I'll get you some more. Psalm 127 says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If the Lord doesn't build a house, they're laboring in vain. Can you imagine you all your life you work on rearing kids without the Lord and you try and, you know, go through life without Jesus and then you die and you go to hell? That's, that's what it is without Christ. It's all in vain. It's all in vain. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Then Proverbs 9.1 says, Wisdom hath builded her house. And 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. So wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. And the world ought to fear him. Because he's, the Bible said, all, God's given all judgment to the Son. Every knee will bow, the Bible says. And confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Unfortunately, someone will bow and confess that when it's too late. When they're begging for God not to throw them in hell. But every knee's going to bow. Did you know that? The agnostic, the atheist, those that belittle Christians and make fun. The wealthy, arrogant crowd that belittles church. They're all going to be on a knee one day bowing before the Lord Jesus. And he'll say, I never knew you. I never knew you. I feel sorry for people who have... A lot of money don't know Jesus because they've tried everything and nothing satisfies. You think of uh, so, many, so many examples of people. I know that uh, there's a song by a famous band, secular band, that said, I can't find no satisfaction. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. There's no peace without God. They had Madonna on a show one time and she said, I feel a big sense of emptiness. Dennis Rodman said the same kind of thing. Why? Like Solomon, they had everything and they found out it was all vanity. Right. It all gets old. Right. And all of a sudden life is over and you're ready to meet the Lord. And if you're not saved, you've wasted a life. Right. When a little child gets saved, it's so wonderful because they have an entire life to give to the Lord. Now, up in Saudi, we baptized three people. I baptized three people over 85 years old. They're all with the Lord now. They all got saved late in life. I baptized them, and the church really loved it, and I did as well. But later, we did say the same thing to the church. That's wonderful, but let me tell you, a child's life, they got the whole life to live. And so let's not ever hinder the little children from coming from come to the Lord because they're precious in His sight. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What, what could rain and wind be equated to? I wrote in here, trials. Trials. Did you know every marriage will have them? Every life will have them? Everyone has a cross to carry, and sinners certainly have trials to face, but without a foundation, they have trouble facing it. Sometime Google and read the statistics on suicide. 
many, many people. At one time, there were 10 of the world's wealthiest men, six of them had committed suicide. Just a few years ago, I found that stat. Don't know where I have it now, but it's in a file somewhere. I'm like, wow, wow. I've known people who are wealthy said, we don't dare leave our house. Every time we leave, people break in. They live in fear. Others have to worry about moving funds from this account to this account just to stay above water. I mean, everyone wants to be wealthy. That's why people line up to buy lotto tickets. That's an investment for people with bad math. And the whole world's crying, oh man, and then, then they're happy for a day or happy for a month or maybe a few years and then all of a sudden they realize, you know, I've purchased all this stuff and now the boat's kind of in the way. I don't even enjoy it anymore. I hate fooling with it. And owning all these different properties, every time I have to hire maids to clean them and they steal and I'm tired of owning all these properties and they just find themselves just as miserable as they were before because it doesn't satisfy. Only the Lord can offer living water that satisfies. Look at verse 27. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on, upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Mark that little word great. The little word great is the word mega. A few months ago, I came and preached your homecoming, I believe it was, and we talked about the mega storm on the Sea of Galilee when the disciples were in the boat. Those winds from Mount Hermon came down and just tore that little Sea of Galilee up. And I mean, they were afraid. And so here's the storm, the mega storm. The storm and the mega fall of the house. This great big house just collapsed because the storm was huge and the house couldn't handle it. So it was a huge, a mega destruction. And that's because the foundation was wrong. And it came to pass when Jesus ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Now think about, the Bible says he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. I would love, to, did you know you're going to hear Jesus teach? The Bible says in the millennial kingdom he'll teach. Well, Brother Dan, I thought we have the mind of Christ to know everything we do, but only God can teach people more that already know everything. Can you imagine that? Think about that. We'll have a new body, sinless body. We'll have the mind of Christ. We'll be with him forever and ever. And we'll still learn from the master teacher, the Lord Jesus. That's unbelievable. I can't wait to go to that church service. I can't wait to hear that choir. Maybe Deborah's going to lead the choir. I don't know. That's going to be something, isn't it? And then Jesus gets up to teach. Wow. And we'll be there for that. In the 16th century, Martin Baal hid his confession of justification by faith inside the monastery walls. But Martin Luther posted his on the cathedral door. And I have here a note, explain how one man took the right action and changed the continent. Martin Luther stood. He didn't hide it, he posted it on the cathedral door. He walked away for what he thought was the faith of the fathers, the Catholic faith, and started the Protestant Reformation. Martin Bale hid his confession, stuffed it in the wall, and they didn't find it till long after he was gone. But Martin Luther changed the continent and the world because he took a stand and he realized the foundation needed to be the Lord Jesus. 
And when Jesus had ended these sayings, we read in verse 28, this is one of five times he said that. Each time he made that statement was after a big body of material. And they're astonished at his teaching. They're blown away by it. Not, not like anything they'd ever heard before. All they heard was rules, 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 obey the rules, obey the rules, do this, do that. Every little detail of your life has to be perfect. And you'll need to be just like the Pharisees to measure up to the Pharisees or you're going to hell. Jesus comes along and says, you don't have any righteousness unless it's from me. My blood will make you just as if you've never sinned before. And you'll be right with God. You'll have righteousness based on what I did for you on Calvary. Now, that's a big, I'm paraphrasing, I know that. Not, not based upon your works, but it's built upon what I did at Calvary. That's what we build a house upon. That profession that Jesus Christ is a son of God, that I was a sinner and he saved me. So that was all new to them. And boy, they were opening their ears and listening to everything. And in verse 29, it says, and he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The word scribes is entering. It's the word grammaticus. It's the word, we get our word grammar from it. Remember, they were lawyers. And they were perfectionist in their grammar and their writings. And they were lawyers that crossed every T and dotted every I. Oh, they were impressive guys, but they're more corrupt than most of our lawyers today. I mean, they were just corrupt. And Jesus just got up with plain, simple speech and said, here's the way it is. Do my word and you'll build a foundation on the rock, the right thing. They never had fresh material, just rehashed. How is Jesus teaching different than the scribes? And you can answer that. Fresh material and powerful material. The application in my life, according to Acts chapter 319, what should a sinful man do as the first act of obedience to the word? I want to give you the answer rather than look it up because we're already a little past eight. We're five after eight. Repent. Repent. Acts 3.19, the very first thing man needs to do in obedience to God's word is to repent. Repent before God that you are a sinner. That's where it all starts. You can't trust Jesus Christ unless you recognize first that you're a sinner. Amen. Otherwise, you have nothing to trust him for if you don't recognize your sinfulness. So repentance is a very first act we need to obey. Amen. And that's the question I have for you, and I believe most of you have, but have you obeyed the commandment of repentance and faith? Have you admitted that you're a sinner and trusted Jesus Christ? And then I have here a list of three storms a believer may face in his life, and we could think of so many. I could think of money problems and marriage problems and child problems and parental, parental relationships and health and problems at work and problems at church. I hope we don't have any, but the devil's going to raise his head. I thought a few weeks ago we had such a wonderful service two Sundays ago. Last week I wasn't here, but I just sensed a spirit of just wonder and amazement. It seemed like we just had such unity and everybody seemed to interact and we were, had a great, and, and you know, let me tell you, when that happens and you feel like the church is finally pulling together and moving forward, guess what's going to happen? The devil's going to raise up. <laughs> He's got someone to raise up and stir the pot and mess the whole thing up because that's how he operates. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. And he appears as an angel of light. I've seen more people start trouble in churches who acted as though angels of light. You know, oh, I'm here and I want unity and all this. 
and then they steal a bunch of money. Now, that's not happened here, but I'm just saying. Thank God for the opportunity to pull together and move forward. But you're going to have, you're going to have trials at home, at work, at church, you know, in your marriage. Even as grandparents, there can be trials and tribulations. Well, how will a solid foundation help you survive the storm? Well, you can always rest in the Lord. You can always turn to Him. And again, who's the solid rock? I asked you twice. I asked you twice, so you'll never forget. And of course, you've been asked by other pastors and heard it in other sermons. But don't ever forget that the family that's built in the rock is the family that moves forward. And the last two are for you to take home. Can you be honest enough to recognize mistakes you've made in your construction? And I hope you can put yes. And then here it says, list some as a prayer list. So write down where you failed and begin to pray that you will succeed in the future by building a life on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I have. Any questions tonight? I will be happy to answer questions any Wednesday night. This is our teaching hour. And so you can write those down and drop them in the offering plate or you can ask them and I'll be glad to help you as best I can. And if I can't help you, we'll find a way to study and prepare and give an answer next time. But do we have any questions tonight about the lesson or anything else you want to ask? All right. It's great to know you all are so wise and scriptures. I have questions all the time. The more I study, the more I today I'm trying to find out more answers, more answers. Well, I had another question. So it's good to, to ask and it's good to learn, good to grow. You know, you're not going to grow unless you learn. Did you know that? I mean, if you hear worn out slogans, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you're not going to grow. You mark your Bibles. Isn't it funny how God, not funny, but how great God put it on pages and he gave us ink pens write things down. And years later, you can go back and say, I, I can tell you what the answer is. It's written right in my Bible. You can help someone else. All hearts clear, right? All right, let's be dismissed in prayer. God, we thank you for your word. And you're always right on target, Lord. And I don't know the hearts of the folks here, but you do. And I pray this will be a blessing and a help to someone. As we study through the parables, help us to remember this is your holy word. We're unholy, but by the grace of God, we've been made saints and children of God. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.